When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about the movie Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl is based off of an eight-story series, and Disney went on ahead and decided they were going to go on ahead and make a live movie adaptation of that book. So I'm going to be talking about that. Then I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite movies, and that movie is Baby Driver. So I'm going to be talking about that in a few minutes. And let's go ahead and talk about Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl is directed by Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh actually made the live ad- adaptation of Cinderella. He also made Thor. And I was actually interested to see what they were going to do with this film. I was interested to see how he was actually going to bring out that whole entire fantasy element. Because I'm a huge fan of fantasy, sci-fi, and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm going to call this movie for what it is, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, like I always am. And I'm not doing this because the critics are actually crapping on the movie or anything like that. This movie is not good. I'm going to be honest with you. And here's the thing. You have this kid named Fredia Shaw. This is actually his very first movie that he's actually been in. And it's supposed to be his height in his career, as an actor because of the fact that it is in fact a Disney movie. But this movie does not know what it is. It doesn't know its identity. It struggles with its identity. You can actually tell that they don't know what it is. And also too, uh, the whole entire thing is whenever he's reciting his lines, you can actually tell that when he pauses, he's actually waiting for someone to actually whisper to him what his next line actually is. So that's where he actually struggles with in this film. Then I also want to talk about this. The plot is actually not that great either. For example, you actually have a 12-year-old kid who whose father goes missing and gets kidnapped by this being we don't know who that being is. We don't know this character or anything like that. We don't know who is behind this mask or anything like that. All we know is that this being wants this ancient artifact. This artifact is supposed to grant him abilities beyond measure. And we don't know why he wants this artifact other than that. And then also, too, it's up to Artemis to go ahead and rescue his father, played by Colin Farrell. And I feel like Colin Farrell, Farrell only went on ahead and filmed this in the course of three days of filming because he doesn't have a lot to do in this film. And also feels like more like a Spy Kids movie rather than something that's actually fantasy as well. But another thing too is this is also involved with fairies. Fairies actually uh, are a part of this underground thing in this movie. And a matter of fact, Judy Dench is the main fairy who's in charge of the fairies in this film. And I feel like this film didn't know what it wanted to do. And if you were a fan of the teaser trailer of what we got about a year ago and then they held back the release of it and stuff like that, maybe about two, maybe three scenes that were in that teaser trailer is in this film and that's about it. And then you also have Josh Gad who plays a dwarf who's actually an oversized dwarf who's actually discriminated for being big and that's it. 
And there's no, no growth there. There's nothing there to actually make us care about these characters that are basically paint-by-the-numbers kind of characters. No layers to them. And not only that, but this movie does a lot of exposition. In other words, is that when we introduce the characters and everything, it's supposed to give us exposition. But it's an exposition in every single scene. Even Josh Gad's character and everything, whenever he's talking in front of this camera in this interrogation-type room, he's like, yes, I know who this kid is. Like, he's part of a movie trailer kind of guy. It's like, yes, I knew Artemis. He is very good at what he does. And it just, I just didn't really feel like that this was a movie that was geared towards me. Maybe, maybe it might be geared towards somebody else. But it just, it was supposed to make me feel about, it was, it, here's the thing. When it comes to certain movies, we're supposed to care about those characters. With this, I didn't care about the characters. I didn't care about the 12-year-old kid who was supposed to be a criminal mastermind. And there was nothing there to actually show that he's actually a criminal mastermind. All he is is just bragging that he's a criminal mastermind. Without actually letting us see that he's a criminal mastermind. Or anything like that. And the artifact itself that we're actually supposed to care about. Because he's using leverage to actually use that as a way to actually get his father back. And everything. There's no background on this ancient artifact or anything like that all we know is the fact that this is an ancient artifact and that is it and it's elvish therefore he's using fairies to be able to go ahead and use this artifact in a way to where he can actually try and rescue his father and that's about it and like i said this movie just struggles at its identity and then also too there's something that happens with his butler and we're supposed to end up caring that something horrific happened to his butler because he grew up with his butler. And it is the most awkward, it was the most trenching dialogue that I've seen in a long, long time. Don't get me wrong, we had, we had things where it was bad dialogue. But not bad enough to where it reminds me of a 90s type movie where it had bad dialogue. For example, it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's dead. He's dying. Help me, fairy. I don't know the fairy's name or anything like that because I don't didn't really care about what the fairy's name is. But it's just, help me. I can't help you. I can't help you, Artemis. I don't know what I'm going to do. So, anyways, all of a sudden... The fairy, of course, the fairies also take away this this fairy's power and everything, too. And as soon as he gives the power back, the fairy goes ahead and does this. Goes, I got my powers back. I can help. Oh, my God. He can help. Thank you so much for bringing them back. I am so happy. That is the most... Grinching, horrible, horrific dialogue in this movie. And then not to mention this. The character says the movie. He goes, for example, you know how we're supposed to geek out at the fact that maybe a character said the title of the movie and it's actually supposed to make it feel like it's not that, not forced? No, they do it in this movie. It's rushed. It's forced. It winds up going like this. He's talking to the bad guy on the phone. Who are you? I'm Artemis Fowl. 
and I'm going to come and find you, and I'm going to destroy you. I'm just paraphrasing on how he actually says it, but it is, uh, it's just horrific. I just didn't care about the characters at all. I didn't care about his mansion being destroyed. I didn't care about anything going on within this movie. I felt bad for Colin Farrell being captured. I wish I was captured for this whole entire movie because of the fact that how horrific this movie is. Because of the fact that it doesn't go anywhere. This movie is... No wonder why they didn't have any faith in this movie. This movie also clocks in at like 91 minutes long, which is not enough to actually do anything with a story like this. Because I felt like maybe they could have actually done something more if they actually put some thought into it. Since they probably might want to build a franchise off of this. But it's no wonder why they didn't have they were trying to hide this movie from us they had no faith disney had no faith in this film they didn't have any faith in the anybody that wanted to go see it regardless of the fact of the pandemic or anything like that so it's no wonder why this movie didn't do that great great with the reviews or anything like that and like i said i'm not one of those people that hate on a movie for the sake of hating on something because i've walked into this thing wanting to love this film and i'm like okay let me see what the critics have to say about this. Let me see why they poo-pooed this whole entire movie. And now I know why. This movie is just horrible. It has no, it, like I said, no layers to the characters. It feels more like a cartoon rather than a movie. Every character feels like they're safe rather than some type of horrific thing happening to a character. It just doesn't do anything for me with this movie at all. And, you know, I'm... I hope that people actually do enjoy this movie, but for me, I'm not going to be one of those people that are that's going to really love this film. And I wanted to love it, especially when you have Kenneth Branagh in it and Josh Gad, and then you well not Kenneth Branagh, he wasn't in it, but he directed the film, which made me excited. But and then you have Fredia Shaw, who was playing in his very first movie as well. So you know, I really was hoping for the best for this film and Judy Dench in this film. Of course I loved her in the I loved her and the 007 movies and stuff like that. It's just not that great of a film. So that is my review for Artemis Fowl. So now let me go into some positivity here. So Baby Driver 2017 here's the thing. I, did, I wanted to go out and see this movie. I wanted to support it because I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. And, you know, I didn't get around to seeing it in theaters or anything like that because I had some other stuff that actually happened to where I couldn't go out and see it. But I did buy the soundtrack because I heard everybody saying how awesome the soundtrack was. And I love the soundtrack. I, I could just imagine the stunts and everything else during that time of listening to the soundtrack and wondering what scene went where. Now and everything, I get to actually review this film, and it's not the first time that I've seen this movie or anything like that, as a matter of fact, I own this on Blu-ray, and I have to say, this film is just perfectly well done, perfectly well executed, not only that, but every song that's in this movie fits with the stunts in this film, not only the stunts, but even the part with the Harlem Shake song what the opening after the opening scene with the chase because i actually like the opening song for that chase scene and everything when you have these bank robbers that's robbing the bank and john bernthal's in this movie too for a short period of time because he only plays like a short part 
And I wish they would have actually put him back in it again just to see how they would actually interact with Jimmy Fox. But, you know, I really love that opening scene, especially whenever Baby is actually driving and he's having to go through the traffic and then also blending in his car with other with the same type of car that he has and the cops can't find him or anything like that. I really have to say, the stunts really work for this film. Not only that, but... Even the opening credits, whenever he goes in there and gets the uh, coffee, the words to the songs of the Harlem Shake is actually imprinted onto the sidewalk. It's imprinted onto the signs. It is like I'm watching a music video, but it's not a music video that's actually forced or anything like that. Because I've actually seen movies where they incorporate music and it actually feels like a music video. This actually actually identifies who the ca- that character actually is and makes us care about Baby. As a matter of fact, Baby is a person that actually loves music. He's an orphan who also happens to be a uh, talented go-to-getaway go driver to heist master, um, mastermind with the perfect soundtrack picked out for each uh, of our, and every job. Baby ensures Doc's violent, bank-robbing cronies, including Buddy, Bats, and Darling, get in and out of the Dodge before it's too late. He's not in it for the long haul, though. And that's something I liked, too, was the fact that you actually have a charismatic character like Baby because he actually has a foster father who is actually looking out for him. And he's not in the best of shape, either. He's in a wheelchair. He's confined to a wheelchair. And he wants the best for a baby. He wants him to get out of this thing that Doc actually has him in. And basically what happens with that is he winds up trying to steal a car from Doc. Doc catches him and therefore now he has he's in debt to Doc until Doc tells him otherwise. And Doc is actually played by Kevin Spacey. And despite what Kevin Spacey's done or anything like that, whenever it comes down to villainous types roles and stuff like that, Kevin Spacey's on fire. And you know, you're wondering, too, is Baby actually going to make this make it out of this movie alive? Or is he going to die? Or is he going to die? Or is he going to get arrested? What's going to happen with Baby? And I love the whole entire element with the diner because it actually reminds me of like a 1950s type of 60s diner. And he actually falls in love with the girl over there in that diner. And then also, too, they actually used a song for the way he actually feels and baby's actually listening to it through his iPod and that's actually his getaway to everything around him where he can block everything out and focus on what he needs to focus on especially whenever you're dealing with like I mentioned with the bank heist and stuff like that different things that Doc wants to do and then also too my other favorite part that I really like in this film is the part where they go into the bank and not Doc but whenever his Doc's son or grandson is actually in the car with Baby, and then they have to actually go to the bank to scope out the cameras, scope out everything, and, you know, he's over there flirting back and forth with the bank teller, and, you know, as he's flirting, he's looking around, seeing what cameras are there, and then they actually mentions... She, he asked her, what time do you get off? Oh, I work from 9 to 5, which is like a Dolly Parton type, a Dolly Parton song. So I actually like the fact that they actually incorporated something like that without actually playing the music or anything like that. But this movie is so good. The originality behind it and everything is good. I like the song Tequila that's in this movie. It actually sets up really good during that whole entire gunfight. Jamie Foxx is just menacing and he tears shit up. 
to the point where you'd want him dead because of how good he's actually playing this character, this villainous role. But I also like what um, John Berthold actually bought, brought, got into this thing at the very beginning, too, where he's actually, you know, he's kind of trying to figure out who what Baby is and everything, too, where he's... He's over there messing with him and things like that. And Baby's acting like he's not hes not listening to anything that's going on when it really is and everything. And then also, too, I have to say that this film is very entertaining. I really have a good, great time watching this. And then also, too, they also have Queen on this thing. And, of course, I love Freddie Mercury. I love Queen. And to actually have Killer Queen on the soundtrack and especially how it was actually done for this movie and the scene that it was actually set up for was just beautifully well done, perfectly well crafted. And, you know, uh, another thing, too, Lily James is in this movie. And then you also have... Uh, John Hamm, who plays Buddy, and Buddy is one of those guys that will actually get under your skin because of the fact that, you know, the stuff that he actually does will actually creep you out in a way that will will creep you out in a way to the point where it's like, okay, this guy's a little, a lot more darker than what any of the other characters are besides Jamie Foxx, and then even when Jamie Foxx is introduced, John Hamm's character still doesn't quite know how to make out with Jamie Foxx's character at all either. Because he's like, okay, I may be dark, but he's on a whole nother side of being dark. Because here's the thing. With John Hamm, he likes to do things maybe a little bit more smooth. Have a little bit more uh, a way of doing things. And Jamie Foxx is just straight to the point. He's more blunt with what he wants to do and stuff like that. And Baby also doesn't want to cause anyone to die or anything like that when it comes down to doing heist jobs. Then, of course, like I said, too, he Lily James also plays Barbie, which is also John Hamm's girl. And the chemistry between the two of them is just fantastic and perfectly well executed as well because it actually does feel like that they're actually a couple. And we actually care about them. We care about the chemistry between the two of them. And it doesn't feel forced. And then Baby, too as well with the chemistry between Kevin Spacey and him is really spot on because you actually feel your heartstrings pull for baby. You're rooting for baby because of the fact that you want him out of this gang life of doing heist jobs. And then it just seems like Kevin Spacey has a way of bringing him back in, even though he doesn't want to be involved in that anymore. He wants his own life. He wants to have a girlfriend. He wants to be able to work a normal job without having to be arrested. His foster father wants the best for him. This movie is just perfectly well executed. Edgar Wright did a fantastic job at bringing something original to this film. And, you know, like I said before with the soundtrack, the soundtrack is just phenomenal. It's just one of those soundtracks that I can listen to over and over again. And like I said before, I mean... It actually sets the tone for each scene, the music that they actually chose. And, you know, I would love to see a sequel to Baby Driver because I feel like it actually does deserve a a sequel to Baby Driver because of the originality behind it, because of the fact with the stunts that they use and also, too, the way that it actually ended as well and then also too it also made a lot of money at the box office too to the point where it actually made its money back to the point where people were actually positive about this movie and 
you know, I'm surprised that not that many people are clamoring over Baby Driver to actually have a sequel. As a matter of fact, I might even put this under the underrated category because nobody really talks about Baby Driver anymore like they used to. Because here's the thing. I'm a sucker for heist movies. I'm a sucker for that. And to also put a soundtrack while you're doing, while this, these heist jobs are actually going on, it's just something really good. And, you know, like I mentioned before with the person that Baby meets and everything, there's a song called Early Morning, or Baby Let Me, uh, either it's early, mor- early in the morning, I think, is whenever he gets, in- when the character actually gets introduced to his love interest, and it actually sets really well with that tone, and, you know, I really feel like that it actually captures the heart of Baby, it actually captures what Baby wants in his life. To where he wants some type of normalcy. And he wants to be able to get out of the life that Kevin Spacey has. And also too. Some stuff actually happens between John Hamm and Barbie. And I'm not going to go into details. But it's basically a re- it turns into basically a revenge plot on Baby as well. Because of the events of what happens on one of the heist jobs. And how it went haywire. And stuff like that too. So, I mean, you have a revenge plot. You have Baby who wants to get out of this life. You have Kevin Spacey who's in it for himself. So, you have all these things going on. It ties up really well. It's perfectly well balanced. Edgar Wright did a really good job. Matter of fact, he was actually supposed to direct Ant-Man. And he had to actually step away from it over creative differences. And, of course, he was attached to Ant-Man for over a period of time. And Disney decided, hey... You know, we're, you're not the best person for the job for the, what we have in store. But I'm glad that he didn't work on Ant-Man so the way he can actually give us Baby Driver. And this movie came out in 2017. And like I said, if you haven't seen Baby Driver, I strongly recommend that you guys actually give Baby Driver a chance. Because I think you guys might actually enjoy this film. It's filled with action. It has a little bit of romance in it. It has a little bit of everything for everybody. It has a great, some great uh, heist stuff in there too that people can actually enjoy. The stunts is just amazing, especially whenever he goes in reverse and he's trying to escape the cops. Everything in this movie works out the way that it needs to. It's well balanced. The songs actually that are placed in these scenes is just laid out beautifully. So if you haven't seen Baby Driver, I strongly recommend that you actually check that out. So. That's going to be it for those reviews, but what I want to do is I want to catch on something here. So, you know, we all know about Tenet. We all know that they were trying to aim for a July release date, despite the fact of this whole entire coronavirus pandemic and everything, and everybody was thinking that Tenet is actually going to get released. Well, it turns out they actually decided to not release Tenet and push back Wonder Woman 1984 and Tenet. And I'm okay with the fact that they want to actually not release Tenant right away or anything like that until this pandemic is actually over with. Variety actually reported the news, and of course, I've also reported it as well. And, you know, I'm okay with the fact that they want to wait a while because I want this pandemic to be over with so that way we can actually feel safe enough to go to a movie and not have to worry about this coronavirus mess. And, you know, this thing that I... This thing I was telling you about was it was initially slated for July 17th and now will debut in cinemas on July 31st at the end of July. So it only got pushed back for a little bit 
but I'm okay with it being at the end of July rather than in the middle. I know I said before that I see maybe this thing slowing down in the middle of July. But if we want to be honest and everything, and I wanted to be optimistic before about this thing with the numbers going down and everything, and we don't see the numbers going down at all. We see it increasing every single day that we actually turn on the news. And for them to actually want to push this movie back to uh, July 31st, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that because they want to make sure that this pandemic is going to be over with before they actually show a Christopher Nolan movie like Tenet and everything. And including uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which is actually supposed to be out on October 2nd. And it was also slated to be released on August. And, you know... I'm glad that they actually pushed that back a little bit, but I figured, here's the thing. I think if you're going to release Tenant in the end of July, why not just go ahead and keep the August 14th release date and everything? Because don't forget, this is actually the same studio. This is still Warner Brothers Studios that's releasing Tenant. So why not just release Wonder Woman 1984 in August rather than October? But I get the fact that they want to try and keep people safe. But at the same time, you're also releasing a movie that's slated to be at the end of August. So why not have something else in its place afterwards? But that's just my thought process on it. Tell me what you guys have to think about that. You know, I hope that you guys did enjoy my review of Armis uh, Foul and also my review on Baby Driver. I'm trying to review as many films as I can that I haven't got a chance to review or anything. But if there's a certain film that you feel like that you want me to review, go on ahead, send me in a voicemail and everything. I'll try and review a movie that you actually chose for me. And you can actually do that by going into the descriptions below. And it will say, leave voicemail message for Movie Lovers Unite. And click on that. Leave me a voicemail message. Your voicemail message will actually be heard on the next episode. So you might be able to to give me a voicemail message and your voice recording will actually be played on the next episode. Uh, Frenchie actually challenged me from Schmoes of the North, challenged me to watch Equilibrium. So I'm going to do a review with him pretty soon for that because I challenged him to watch Ready Player One over again because he said he didn't really care for it that much. But since he challenged me, I challenged him. So we're probably going to end up meeting in the middle pretty soon. Then on Sunday, I'm going to be interviewing my co-host Tamika and everything too. Because I've been wanting to do this one-on-one interviews for a while. So the way you guys can get familiarized with some of the people that I actually do my podcast with. So I figured Tamika's been on my podcast for at least a month now. And she's also my co-host. And I want to bring her in to do a one-on-one interview with that. And then I think on my uh, 200th episode or the anniversary, which is coming up uh, next month, will make a year that I've been doing this podcast. So I think that I'm going to wind up doing a, letting her do a one-on-one interview with me and talking about the future of this podcast, what I want from this podcast. Also too, what got me started with it. It's going to be a great interview with that, as well as the interview that I'm going to conduct on Sunday with her. And I'm also going to be either Sunday or Monday. I don't know which one it is, but ACS is going to be joining me on this one on my channel. We're going to be discussing John Wick. We're going to be doing a review on all three of films of those movies. And of course, we're probably going to do a double header where I'm going to be on his channel too. We're going to be doing a top 10 movies of all time 
So we're going to be talking about that on ACS podcast. So if you haven't checked out ACS Universe, I strongly recommend that you guys actually check out his channel on YouTube and also as well on any podcast uh, service as well. So that's going to do it for me for today. I hope you guys enjoy the show. And until next time, bye-bye.